about David sparing Saul's life in the caves of Adullam, and how David then apologized later to Saul, because remember, he cut off the corner of his robe, and then he felt like, oh, I shouldn't have taunted him in that way. He is God's anointed, and la, 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 la. Um, so last week, we talked about how to apologize. We're going to look at that again, because um, these chapters in Samuel are just like apology after apology, everyone apologizing to each other. So we're going to keep going with apologizing this week. Um, we're going to look at the story of David and Abigail, and not only look at how to make an apology again, because we can never hear that enough, but also how to accept an apology. Um, because David has to accept Abigail's apology, and there is an art to both. And as long as there is sin in the world and misunderstanding, then we can never be reminded enough about how to apologize and how to accept apologies. Okay, so if you remember, chapter 24 ended with David apologizing, and Saul saying, oh, basically, oh, you're the better man, right? Um, and then it says, Saul went home, and David and his men went up to the strongholds. So the apology, you know, there was the apology, but everything wasn't okay. David still had to go away from Saul because mm, you can, Saul is kind of unstable. Um, so anyway, then kicking off chapter 25, there's this weird little verse that pops in saying, oh, the priest Samuel has died, in case any of you were still wondering about what happened to him, right? He died. And, quote, all Israel gathered and made lament for him, and they buried him in Ramah, his home. Okay, so we remember Ramah. David was last in Ramah in chapter 19. Uh, if you remember, he, um, he went to go visit Samuel before Samuel died to confirm his kingship again. Like, are you sure? You said I was going to be king, but are you sure? Ever since you told me I was going to be king, I've had, like, spears thrown at me and just crazy stuff by the king, right? So are you sure? And Samuel did confirm it again. He said, yes, you are going to be the king. Um, God supports your kingship, okay? It doesn't look that way, but okay, Samuel. And now Samuel is dead, and all of Israel gets to go up to Ramah to mourn him, but David, of course, can't join him because he's still on the run. So they go to Ramah, and he heads the opposite direction to the wilderness of Paran. So um, people can't say exactly where the wilderness of Paran is. They guess maybe. Maybe it was the Sinai Peninsula. Maybe it was down more uh, southeast of that. They're not sure. But we do know from where uh, it's mentioned in the Bible that this wilderness of Paran has played a symbolic role throughout the Bible. So, for example, um, the wilderness of Paran is where the Israelites wandered around during the Exodus. Remember when they weren't allowed to enter the promised land, they had to spend 40 years wandering in circles and that sort of thing. So they did, they did that in the wilderness of Paran. Okay? Um, it is also where uh, when Hagar and Ishmael got kicked out of the royal family, where they ended up, right? Um, Sarah said, and you know this from when we went through it. I always take the wider side. So Sarah said quite justifiably, get rid of that woman and her son. And so, you know, Abraham did, and they wandered around and um, ended up in the wilderness of Paran. And um, the wilderness of Paran is also, Deuteronomy tells us, where God appeared to Moses and he delivered um, the law, which is why they think Sinai Peninsula, Mount Sinai, that kind of thing. Okay, so what we learn from how the wilderness of Paran is used over and over in the Bible is that um, the desert is a place where you go when you are waiting for promises to be fulfilled, right? It's David, not oh, what, what? 
apology accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't apologize. Hello. <laughs> oh, how about that? It was working. All right. Oh, well. We have no slides. Um, they weren't that exciting anyhow. Okay, so the desert is the place you go when you are waiting for prompt Okay. Okay. I, I um, wouldn't want to see them. There's, it's just the words I'm saying out of my mouth. It's well, fine. Okay. I have no maps. I have no funny cartoons. There's nothing. Okay. Okay, so like I was saying, David goes to the desert because he knows from Scripture the desert is where you go when you are waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. And he knows the desert is also the place where God will meet you, right? God will meet you in the desert and you will discover that he leads and provides. So think of those situations again, right? In the desert, that's where the Israelites, God met them. He provided the manna, he provided the, the quail, and they ate so much meat it came out their noses. Um, the desert, it says, Hagar and Ishmael, God met them in the wilderness of Paran, right? He met them. There they were, kicked out and feeling very badly, understandably, and God met them there. And again, the wilderness of Paran, when he met them and delivered the law. So saying, this is a promise for your future, right? You can have the law while you're wandering in the desert, but this is what I have for you. So, so David knows, symbolically, he has been promised the kingship, but it hasn't been handed to him yet, right? And I'm sure he wondered many a time, as people in the Bible do when they are promised things that don't appear very quickly at all, I'm sure he wondered, did I hear it right? Did I get it right? I know Samuel said yes, 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 but now Samuel's dead, so is it still valid? That kind of thing. Um, my oldest is in college now. Yay! Um, and anyway, she's taking a Shakespeare class this quarter and reading Macbeth, and I was thinking about Macbeth, and thinking about that story, because if you remember in Macbeth, the witches tell Macbeth, well, you are going to be king. And Macbeth says, well, what about Duncan, who is the king, right? They're like, oh, it's, it's you. So then, just like David, Macbeth has some options, right? He has some things to think about. Because, and, and, but Macbeth has a little different temperament than David, right? Because almost like within five lines, he's like, well, I could kill Duncan, and then I could be king, right? And then he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to kill him. And Macbeth says this. He says this line, which I would show you, but I'm not going to. Um, he says, well, I can, yes, I can force it to come true, or I can keep my hands clean and let the kingship come to me. Right? Macbeth says, if chance will have me king, why, chance may crown me without my stir. Right? I don't have to do anything. If this prophecy is really the case, well, then let them do all the work. Let it just happen to me, right? Um, but of course, as you all learned in high school, Macbeth happened to be married, and he, you know, we know who wore the pants in that family. And she said, well, if you're supposed to be king, then take it, take the crown, right? What's wrong with you, you whip? And so he's like, okay, and he killed Duncan, and he grabbed the kingship for himself, with tragic results. So, very similar situation, and David could have taken that road, right? We saw in 24, there was the road. There is Saul. Well, just kill him, and you will be king. And David didn't, but he was tempted. He cut off that corner, and then he was like, oh my gosh, no, Lord. I, that's not how I want it to happen, right? David would say, if God will have me king, 
why God may crown me without my stir, right? Let God do the crowning. I don't want to murder him and take it for myself. Okay, so that's our big picture setting in chapter 25. And then this little, little tale is dropped in. This kind of set piece of how David got his wife, Abigail. You know, instead of once upon a time, it begins with, there was a man in Moan, right? It's that same storytelling language, though. Um, and we, we'll hear this kind of language again when we get to the, the set piece of how David got his wife Bathsheba, right? That one begins, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go forth to battle, right? This is biblical for once upon a time, this happened, right? So once upon a time, there was this obnoxious, wealthy man in Moab. He pastured his many flocks in the mountain wilderness there, and when we meet him in our story, it's sheep shearing time. Um, around May or June. And, and then the joke of the story, the first joke of the story comes in verse three. The man's name was Nabal. Ah, right, if you're a Hebrew, ah, right. Um, how do we know it's a joke? Because who names their son loser or fool or jerk, right? You don't name your kid that. And sure, we all know people who their name in a foreign language sounds like a terrible word in English. I don't know if you've met people like that. And, I have, and you just feel so bad, and everybody feels so bad and tries to say their name with a weird pronunciation so that it doesn't sound like the terrible word in English, right? I mean, it could be a case like that, but I don't know why, because it says he's a Calebite, right? He is an Israelite, so why would his parents give him a name like, hey, jerk, right? Why would anybody name him that? Okay, so the villain is introduced with this funny name, and then after the villain is introduced, we meet the heroine of the story. His wife's name was Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was a hard man and an evildoer. Okay, in some stories, princesses are imprisoned by dragons or pirates. In this story, the intelligent and beautiful woman is imprisoned by marriage to Mr. Loser, right? Has David come to save the day? That's the question of this story. Okay, so we're reading in 1 Samuel 25, I'm going from verse four. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall salute him. Peace be to you. And peace be to your house. And peace be to all that you have. Right? Butter them up. Butter them up. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, with all his renegades in the mountains, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing, right? We didn't take from them, we didn't threaten them, we didn't harm them. All the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Pray, give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. Right? So, we've been so nice, we've been helping out your guys out in the mountains. So, hey, we see you're having a feast. <laughs> right? Okay, when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. I'm sure, you know, eyes looking over at the buffet table. And Nabal answered David's service, Who is David? Right? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men? who come from I don't know where. So David's young men turned away 
and came back and told David all this. And David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword! And every man of them girded on his sword. The Bible is so hilarious. Like, not, and they did so. Every man. David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so we have learned up to now, if you haven't realized, that David is kind of a wily one. He's kind of a wily one, right? He's got all these followers now, and he has got to feed them. Because if you don't feed your followers, then uh, they run off, right? They're like, oh, never mind following him. I want to go home. I'm hungry. So how is he going to feed them? He's in hiding. He's on the run. The last time he got this bright idea about feeding all his men, remember? Hey, Ahimelech, hey, you know. He got Ahimelech and all the other priests killed. That one didn't turn out so well, right? So he's like, okay, 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 hey, it's sheep shearing time. And there's like tons of food everywhere. But you know, well, we're not just gonna waltz in and ask for, we're gonna help out, we're gonna help. So, um, so he said, well, what if we provided a legitimate service and we were paid for it? He probably thought, well, it kind of worked for Moses. I had you guys look, if you looked at the questions. Moses, when he's on the run after having murdered the Egyptian, remember he sees those young ladies trying to water their flock and the men are like, get back, men go first, right? And Moses is like, you stop it. And he helps the ladies water their flock. And in return, in return, the ladies say, oh, dad, there was this really nice guy, right? And he gets invited into Jethro's home. He gets to marry Jethro's daughter, right? Good things happen because he provides his service. So probably, you know, and even if those good things hadn't happened, they probably thought, well, you know, if I do these things, they'll feel hospitable and they'll help me out. Okay, but Nabal, Mr. Loser, right, feels no such obligation. And I, you know, I'm kind of with Nabal on this thing. He didn't ask David to do any of that, right? I mean, if you planned a big wedding for your child, and then a whole bunch of people showed up and they're like, hey, we helped set up the chairs. You'd be like, well, I didn't ask you to set up the chairs, right? I didn't plan on feeding all of you too, right? I can understand feeling a little indignation. Usually, you know, if, if David had dared to come and ask first, like, hey, could we provide service for your shepherds in return for some food? That's a different thing, right? But David did it without asking. He created this obligation. Um, but that doesn't mean the obligation isn't there, right? If someone comes to your daughter's wedding and sets up 400 chairs, you kind of feel like you've got to give them something, right? Whether you ask for it or not. The obligation is still there. Um, but Nabal shows his loserness by both denying the obligation and by being insulting about it, right? He's David, you're, David's a nobody. He's a runaway slave, and you all are nobodies, right? So not just no but no with a side order of insults. And David loses it, right? He gets furious. Gird on your sword, right? He flies off the handle, and he prepares to take matters into his own hands, and his own violent hands in this case. So then it's like, is the hero of the story going to become a bad guy? Is he going to do this, you know, murder all these people? Um, but no, because the heroine of our story steps in and saves the day, right? In quite a modern fashion. You know you can tell you're watching a recent Disney movie if the princess saves the day. Because, you know, back in the day, the guy had to do it. But nowadays, you watch it, it's always the princess, right? So this is quite a modern story. Abigail is going to save the day. And it's, it's 
kind of no wonder that modern readers find her extremely appealing, right? She's not just like hot like Bathsheba, but she's actually hot with a brain. So it's <laughs> nice. We like to think of ourselves as with a brain, right? You love me for my mind as well, right? Not just those hotties. So. Um, so she's intelligent, beautiful, and wise. And her plan to save the day is to apologize. Okay, I'd show you a slide, but you know. So if you remember from last week, the steps Kristen showed when David confronted Saul, and we'll go over them. I'll say them again, but if you flip back to your last week notes, you probably still have them. So step number one was when you're making an apology, right? When you're seeking reconciliation. Step number one was take the first step. Take the first step. Don't wait for the other person to apologize. Just do it, right? Just do it. So look at Abigail. Abigail hears, hey, David and his 400 guys are coming to kill everybody, right? And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got to take matters in my own hands. I've got to go meet him. So she gets all this food ready, right? Verses 18 to 20. And she sends her servants out ahead to meet David, to kind of um, um, head him off at the pass, right? Number two, step number two. Humble yourself and honor the other person when you apologize. Humble yourself and honor the other person. Abigail throws herself at David's feet on his mercy, and she gives this long speech about, oh, your handmaid, you should hear her speech. Um, Abigail made haste, la, 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 la. Okay, when Abigail saw David, she made haste and alighted from the ass and fell, you always have to say ass in the Bible like that. Okay, and <laughs> fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet, as you just said, she fell at his feet and said, Upon me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Pray, let your handmaid speak in your ears and hear the words of your handmaid, right? Humble, 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 humble. Don't kill me, please. Humble, humble, humble. Okay. So she uses all this language. She honors David by reminding him that the Lord has chosen him to be king and that God will deal with David's enemies, right? God will deal. So she humbles herself. She honors the other person. Step three that Kristen had, point out the truth, right? Abigail readily admits that David has cause for anger, right? She's, but she says, oh, but, you know, I understand. You've been insulted. Your service has been rejected. Um, we were not generous or hospitable. I understand. But she says, please pay no attention to that wretched fellow Nabal, for he's just what his name says. His name means fool, and he is a fool. She's talking about her husband here, right? And um, it's all true. She's pointing out the truth, right? She's like, I know you're really angry, and I know my husband is a fool, and he made a bad choice. Okay, number four, declare your own guilt and do the right thing. We talked about that. She blames herself. She's like, blame me, blame me, and my husband. Blame me, 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 and him, right? Blame us, but then... Here's all the food, right? Here's all the food you asked for. I brought it. I, here it all is, right? So she declares her own guilt, and she does the right thing. She makes amends for the wrong. Step five, turn the focus toward God. We talked about this, too. Abigail points out, I know, right? Nabal's like, I don't know who David is. What is a slave? Who's David? What? Right? But she's like, I know who you are. I know who you are. I know that God has promised you that you will be king and your sons will reign after you forever, right? And I know that God has said he will fight your battles, and he will keep you from sin. 
and God will make good on his promises to you. She reaffirms all that stuff that David has been hungering to hear, right? While he's in exile in the wilderness and then coming back, and how am I going to feed all my followers? She confirms again. God uses her to confirm again that he will be king, right? She turns the focus toward God. And number six, avoid revenge and place it in God's hands. Um, you get the sense that Abigail probably has not been happily married for some amount of time, right? Because probably when you were newlywed, you didn't go around saying, oh, my husband's a fool, right? You wouldn't have married him if you felt that way. So, so she's been unhappy for a time, right? And his actions, which have endangered their lives, are the last straw. But rather than murdering Nabal in his drunken sleep, right, Abigail limits herself. She limits herself to just telling him everything that happened. Oh, by the way, you remember that guy that you totally insulted? I, I fed him anyhow. You know, I fed him anyhow. And, um, and then God takes it from there, right? Nabal has a stroke when he hears this horrible news that he's been hospitable against his will and his own wife has betrayed him, right? And he dies 10 days later. So Abigail's quick thinking and her generosity and her desire for reconciliation um, reap her the somewhat rich reward of marrying the hero. Yay! Happy ending, right? So Abigail apologized and makes amends as her heroic act. But equally important is how we respond to an apology, okay? How do we accept an apology? It would have still been war if David had not accepted her apology. Um, and how do we accept an apology even if we are not completely innocent? Because I would say more than 90% of the time, there are two people in every conflict, right? If not more. And when things go astray between two people, they're usually both somewhat to blame, right? Unless one of them is like under three years old. They're usually both a little bit. Everybody did their little bit, right, to make this problem. Um, hardly ever, ever, ever is one party completely innocent and the other entirely guilty. Okay. Um, I am a gifted sinner, as you all know. Um, I always get the sin passages. Um, I have this horrible temper. I have a bad mouth, which I don't govern all the time. And so following Jesus for me means he often has to come talk to me after the fact. Um, and I often know what he's going to say, which makes it worse, right? And I often have to make apologies. This has been the case ever since I became a Christian. So just this last Christmas, I mean, as recently as last month, I guess that would be. Uh, just last Christmas, I blew up at my 18-year-old nephew during a card game. So um, my nephew, who I only see like twice a year, right? And, um, and it was a stupid card game. And I even cussed a little bit. So, well, it didn't take long for me to realize that, oh, that wasn't very well behaved of me. Um, and I dreaded talking to God about it because I knew already that I was going to have to apologize, right? Is there anything more humiliating than apologizing to a teenage nephew? I don't think so. Um, was it entirely my fault? No, he was being obnoxious. I don't randomly cuss at people in a guard game, right? He was being obnoxious. My oldest, Holly, reading my best, had already traded some words with him. Um, but for Pete's sake, I was the adult, I am a Christian, and my behavior was embarrassing so, and inexcusable. So I whomped up the nerve, and I went and found him. And plus, he's Asperger's, right? He doesn't have the greatest social skills. And still, his mean old aunt comes down to California and Sorry, that I shouldn't have cussed at you, and I kind of I flew off the handle. He's like, 
It's okay.
right? It might have been something you said. It might have been a coldness or an avoiding of the situation. You did something, right? You did something. So unless you're Jesus or you're under three, and then I can go past. But, um, but look at David. He created this obligation on Nabal's part, right? David is not totally innocent. Nabal did not ask for, may I please have your protective services? No. He created this obligation instead of asking in the first place. He was not innocent, and his murderous anger was not innocent either, right? So his pride got touched there. It's like, who are you, runaway slave? I never heard of you, right? That's, that got him right in his pride. Um, and David recognizes that if not for Abigail, he would have taken revenge. Also not a good thing to do, right? We know we're not supposed to take revenge, tempting as it is. So recognize your part. It would have been nice if David said something like, well, he does. He does say, oh, God prevented, God used you to keep me from doing wrong. So he does recognize, okay, my anger was not a good response. And then number four, when you're accepting an apology, honor the apologizer, who, after all, was braver than you, right? Honor the apologizer. David honors Abigail, not only by accepting her apology, but by praising her. He says, oh, you're a prudent, young, beautiful, intelligent woman. He leaves out the other stuff, but he says, prudent, you're a prudent woman. Um, and he wishes God's blessing on her. So he honors her. <clears throat> he, he does her the honor of truly listening to her and recognizing that she has been brave and wise. And at the end of the story, he does the even greater honor of marrying her, right? But though, of course, being David and being wily, it's not without its benefits, right? This woman is very wealthy. She's very wealthy. And boom, food problem solved, right? So, so David always has mixed motives. Okay, but God's will for our lives is that we live reconciled with each other. You know, whether we are the apologizer, embarrassing ourselves with our teenage nephews, or whether we are the one who has to accept the apology. If you find yourself in a situation today where God is nudging you to make an apology, we'll make it, right? And if someone comes to you with an apology, don't blow it off, right? Hear the person out. Think how God would want you to respond. Recognize your part in the problem and honor the apologizer for her bravery in coming to you. Okay, we are gonna end with a little thing that may be painful or a treat for you. Um, this past summer at Vacation Bible Adventure, uh, we, we actually did the story of Abigail bringing peace. And so if you've noticed, we got a man. There's a man in the room. Um, this is Scott. Scott, I need a slide. But I can't show it because it's not working. But all of which is to say, Scott and Nan here, they do VBA with me every summer, as does Carrie Nordberg, who couldn't be here today. And so um, we were going to do a little reader's theater version of Abigail's story that we did for the kids this summer. So this is without props, without anything. Come on up. And Scott is so good, he, he came to face all these women so he could read for Nepal. <laughs> and I just wanted to say, um, Scott is appearing, if you've ever, anyone ever been to Edmund Driftwood, the Edmund Driftwood Theater that we Okay, some of us, um, they put on plays, and Scott is appearing in February in To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, so, yeah. um, the Dudleys are going on Friday, February 23rd, if anyone wants to wave at each other afterwards. Um,
So, very fun, he's going to play the prosecutor. Mr. Gilmer. Mr. Gilmer, the prosecutor, as he says, his first villain. So, anyway, so if you enjoy his Naval, who is also a villain, yeah, yeah. I was like, it's not your first villain, you played one this summer. But, um, My first credited villain. <laughs> yeah, <his first> <laughs> <laughs> We're going to Reader's Theater with this. Okay. Come on over, Nan. Do you have a script? Yeah. Oh, yeah. On my phone. Oh, on your phone. Okay. Why don't you go? I'll go off mic. I don't need. Oh, mic. you guys are way in the back. Okay. Oh. You can hear me way in the back, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey. Okay. <laughs> when when this is on my head, I'm Abigail because um, we're missing some people. All right. When it's not on my head, I'm not. <laughs> Abigail brings peace, starring Nabal, a very rich though foolish man. Oh, I am such a rich man. I own 3,000 sheep and I own a thousand goats. I did this all by myself. All by myself. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. <laughs> Abigail! It's almost time for my sheep shearing festival. Have you got enough food ready? That woman, she's too smart for her own good. Whew, but at least she could cook. Enter uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail, a smart and beautiful woman. Let me see, we'll need plenty and plenty of roasted meat, fig cakes, wine, grapes. Oh, I love sheep shearing time. It's a chance to reward all the people who worked so hard to take care of our animals and crops. It's the least we can do for all their faithfulness. Speaking of people who have been working hard and faithfully to take care of Nabal's animals and crops, remember King David, the one who wrote Psalm 139? Um, well, before he became king, he was on the run from Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul was jealous of David's popularity, so David had to hide out with his supporters, and that was where his path crossed Nabal and Abigail's. Woo! You've been working so hard, David! It's no easy job protecting 3,000 sheep. Thanks so much for all your help. Well, it was my pleasure. <laughs> I could see you were short-handed, so it was the least me and my men could do. I'm so glad it's the sheep shearing celebration and we can repay you a little. My mistress, Abigail, makes wonderful food. Ah! Another wolf, David, and he's got one of the sheep. Tell my wife it's not up to my usual standards. Um, peace be to you and peace be to your house. Who are you? You kind of sound like John Wayne. My name. <laughs> I think you're a few centuries ahead of yourself there, cowboy. <laughs> my name is David, son of Jesse, and I lead a band of men. We have been working among your shepherds for some time. 
helping to protect your flock of 3,000 sheep and making sure no harm came to anyone. <laughs> That's so. Well, who asked you to do this anyway? Sir, it was just the right thing to do. <laughs> well, goody for you. And I suppose you want a little something-something for it. Think you uh, earned something, do you? Sir, you can ask your own employees how helpful we were. All I ask is that you would let my helpers and me take part in your sheep-sharing feast. <laughs> Why would I do that, David, son of whoever? You're probably some runaway criminal, and you think you can just walk in here and ask me to feed who know how many of your gang of hoodlums? No way. Uh, besides, I don't have uh, enough money. <laughs> And even if I did, why would I give it to you, Mr. Strange Person I've never seen before? So be it! If this is the way you reward faithful service, I should have left you to your and your sheep to the wild beasts. Huh. Oh, oh. Um, who is that, my husband? He looked angry. Oh, he's some nobody. Claims he and his men have been watching my sheep and helping my shepherds, so I should let them come to my feast. Ha 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 ha! Fat chance. Oh, and by the way, uh, the coating on this drumstick not as crunchy as it should be. Oh, my lord! There's plenty of food to spare, and all your shepherds have been talking about what good and helpful young men this David and his followers are. How can you repay them like this? Oh, stop your moaning, woman. Go fix my drumstick. <laughs> foolish, foolish man. I guess it's up to me to save the day. Heaven help me. Servants, quickly, we must work together to prevent disaster. Every man, gird up his sword. <laughs> this man is repaid good with evil, and he will suffer for it. Yes, sir. Oh, my Lord, wait, wait! I beg you, let me take all the blame for my husband's behavior. Only let me speak. Please, pay no attention to Nabal, who is stubborn and foolish and stingy. Even his name sounds like the word for villain. Don't take revenge, I pray, but instead forgive. For one day you will be a mighty king, and God will deal with all your enemies for you. You don't need to take matters in your own hands today and do something you might later regret. And, and here's lots of food. Oh, well, wow, thanks be to God today who sent you to prevent violence. May you be blessed for your good sense and your generosity. You have brought peace this day, Abigail. Perhaps God made you for this very reason, to keep us from going to war. Go in peace to your house. I have heard your request and am pleased to honor it. We will not attack Nabal. Oh, that was a close one. Thank you, God, that he listened. Oh. Hey, will you fix my chicken leg? <laughs> I haven't had time to work on your chicken leg. I was too busy trying to keep David from attacking this house for the way you treated him. What? Them? They don't deserve anything. I didn't ask for their help. What did you do behind my back? I apologize <laughs> for you oh. and gave them the food oh. you asked for. Oh. You won't even oh. notice it's gone. Oh. Oh. I need a paper bag. I'm hyperventilating. 
I need to go lay down. I, I think I'm going to have a stroke. <laughs> Nabal never recovered from his anger and shock. He died 10 days later, and not a single person missed him. In fact, <laughs> Abigail later remarried. Who did she marry? Good question. It turned out she married David. God made Abigail for a purpose, to bring peace to a tense situation and to be the wise and generous wife of a future king. The end. Now, this was all written by Christina. And, and of course, the target audience is, you know, kindergartners through fourth graders. <laughs>